welcome to the Empowering Agency Workers, a podcast for all temporary workers. If you're unsure of your rights, unsure how to find work, or just plain unsure, we're here to help. It's all too easy to be exploited, so your expert host, Julia Kermode, will empower you to succeed. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm really pleased to have with me um, Matthew Craig, who is Policy Officer at the TUC. And today we're talking all things Umbrella. And we're talking to to Matt particularly because he is a Policy Officer, as I said, and he has responsibility for employment rights and related issues for TUC members. And there was recently a report that the TUC published, um, which is all about why um, umbrella companies should actually be banned. And a copy of this report will go with the podcast so you can read it. But really warm welcome, Matt. Is there anything to add to my intro? Hi, Julia. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me onto the podcast. Um, I don't think there's anything to add on to the intro, but perhaps I could just say a little bit about the TUC. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Our members and how we come to arrive at our um, policy proposals and um, yeah. campaigning stances. So um, so just a little introduction on the TUC. Um, we, we are the umbrella body for um, 48 unions um, who okay. between them represent around uh, five and a half million workers. Um, we're a democratic wow. organisation. So it means that um, the, the reports we come out with and the policy positions we take and um positions we take with government legislation, for example, that's decided by our union members. Um, So for example, with our umbrella work, um, we convened a working group of union officers who have Mm -hmm. agency worker members and contractor members who use umbrella arrangements. Yeah. So for example, education unions who represent supply teachers, um, who have agency workers who, who are forced to use umbrellas. Um, construction unions where agency work and umbrella arrangements are common and also mm-hmm. in the entertainment sector as well where um, the, the self-employed contractors are increasingly being asked to use um, umbrella arrangements so, okay. you know, so it's our unions who decide our policy. Okay no and that's that's really helpful um, to, to know because I was quite interested in how how it works because it's a massive job actually when you consider the number of individuals that, that you're representing. And so so the TUC, if I've understood correctly, brings together the views of all of the individual um, unions that are your members. Have I got that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and we, we coordinate a, a position that everybody agrees on. Okay, okay. So that leads me into my first question then, which was how did you come up with this position that, that umbrellas um, ought to be banned? So unions have been um, raising concerns about umbrella companies and the impact that they have on workers for a long time mm-hmm. but we think that the scale of umbrella use has increased yes uh, and the the wide range of potential exploitation has also increased as well so some of the shall i flag up some of the things which unions have said are concerning about yes yes because i did want to ask you what what the concerns were and it'd be useful for our listeners to get to get that insight as well yes i think the the primary concern that unions flag up is around um how workers feel like they're having unfair deductions taken from their pay so an example of this would be um the workers told by the agency they're going to get paid 15 pounds an hour Mm-hmm. And when their um, pay slip turns up and the wages go into their bank, they're actually found that they've only been paid £12 an hour. 
Right. And, yeah. and this obviously comes from the umbrella company um, deducting their, opera- their operating costs and the, their fee for processing pay. Um, and also the other the other costs which unions have reported being deducted, such as employer um, mix and, and tax and apprenticeship levy. Um, okay. Yeah, so that, that also leads to payslips being very complicated um, and indecipherable, really. So workers are just confused about what all this deduction means um, and they're not getting paid the rate they should do. The second issue is around um, breaches of holiday pay and leave. So Umbrella is preventing them from taking um, leave, which they're entitled to. Worryingly, workers are saying that Umbrella companies aren't providing them with key information documents. So legal entitlements um, Mm -hmm. that came in in April 2020. But there seems to be widespread non-compliance with that. Um, And we think that was backed up by by a survey carried out by IR35 Shield as well, which showed that 86% of the contractors they surveyed aren't getting that key information document, which is really important yeah. because it sets out transparency around pay rates. Um, another, another concern is that the use of umbrellas sort of fragments the employment relationship. Um, so if I'm an agency worker, I've got the end client, the recruitment agency and the umbrella company. Um, and my first port of call might be the, the employment agency to say, well, I haven't been paid what I should be. Can you sort mm. it out for me? And they say, no, well, actually, we're not your employer and we don't sort payroll out. So go and speak to this umbrella company. Workers often not even aware they're using an umbrella company. And then when they go to the umbrella company, the umbrella company passes them back to the recruitment agency. And in many cases, the recruitment agency is unsure about the exact legal relationship between the umbrella company and the recruitment agency as well. So they're they're not entirely sure who the legal employer is. Wow. Okay. Um, And then more seriously um, is the the scope for workers to become unwittingly embroiled in these tax avoidance schemes. So the disguised remuneration problems have been um, really well documented in the, in the media. Um, And you find that workers are being paid through these sort of fraudulent schemes through Mm. their own. Um, And then years later, the HMRC will pursue them for um, tax that they, they supposedly owe. And that's had tragic consequences as well. Yeah. So that's quite, quite a long list of issues you've got there um i've i've counted five um and unless unless i've missed any as we were talking but actually um the last point is is something that that i um I completely 100% agree with you on which is these tax avoidance um uh, schemes and that they are awful um and and you know definitely things things need to be um done about that and i i, I do get so frustrated and i've done podcasts on this as well um that listeners can go back and and, and tune into i get so frustrated that hmrc and the government don't appear to be taking firm action against these um tax avoidance schemes in relation to to kind of the pay points that is a massive um problem and for my opinion as as someone a bit removed from both the umbrella sector and the agency sector i take a slightly different view to to your view and i think the problem actually lies in advertising the job roles that don't actually take into account how the individual is going to be paid through the umbrella and those overheads that the umbrella does have to take account of and the umbrellas get paid an amount from the agency and they do have to from that amount they get paid from the agency take into account um 
the overheads of employers and national insurance, etc. The other point from what you've mentioned is in relation to the key information documents. Now, I might be wrong on this, and I'm interested in your view, but I thought that recruitment agencies were responsible for giving key information documents. Now, I totally agree that when someone is being paid through an umbrella, then the recruitment agency won't necessarily have that information to hand. But I would expect a good umbrella to share that information with the recruitment agency to ensure that the worker is getting the key information that that they should. Um, It's a problem that here at iWork we've been aware of and we're very frustrated, as you are, that that people are not getting these key information documents because the whole point of them is for workers to understand how they're being paid, the amount they're being paid, etc. And if and if this isn't happening in the case of people being paid via an umbrella, then they're not going to know that perhaps their pay rate is less than they were expecting um, from the outset. And, and also, if somebody has to pay a fee for the umbrella company to operate payroll, why is it coming out of the workers' salary? Why shouldn't that fee be paid mm-hmm. by the recruitment agency or the end client? There's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't that, that cost has to be passed on to the worker. The umbrella doesn't deduct the margin from the worker's pay, but it does it deducts it from the kind of overall rate, which includes those overheads. But it's a very difficult point to to kind of get your head around. As you know, we commissioned the um, Chartered Institute of Taxation to look into umbrellas for us. Yes. And they, yeah. What they suggested is that the recruitment agency should pay an uplifted fee to yeah. the umbrella company. So that when the umbrella company took their deduction, the agency workers still receiving the pay rate that they've been promised. But the, the report made clear that that's what should be happening. But unfortunately, what we're hearing is that's not what's happening. So the deduction yeah. is in effect being made from the workers' pay rate that they've been told they're going to get. So that, yes. that, I mean, that's where we come back to our position on the ban. It's all this stuff should be happening, but it's not. So the only way to properly stop this sort of wide-ranging exploitation, in our view, is to to stop the umbrella companies from operating. Yes, so I completely agree with you on the uplifted rate. Um, And um, my argument, because I've got some background in the umbrella sector, would be that they can only work with the money that they've been paid. But in terms of um, the position of banning umbrellas, it caused a bit of um, reaction, as you would expect. And some have said that, oh, it's a knee-jerk reaction. Um, it's a misinformed response. It's typical, you know, um, yeah. union perspective and, and that sort of thing. What would you say to to those kind of critics that, that kind of um, reacted in that way to, to your position? Yes, yeah, so I think if we tackle that, the criticism in two parts. First of all, they said, our our response was uh, knee-jerk so um, I think unions have been raising concerns about umbrellas for the best part of the decade so we've been cataloging those listening to the concerns bringing um, looking at the evidence and trying to think of solutions Um, so that's been happening for a decade secondly um, we set up a working group of union officers um, who work with agency workers and contractors who use umbrella arrangements we met several times to dig more into the detail yeah. Finally, we commissioned the Charter Institute of Taxation to carry out an in-depth report looking at the scale and nature of labour market intermediaries. Um, and they, they published, a, I think, a 130-page report in January, which we read in detail and took on board yeah. our recommendations. Then we met with um, REC, the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, contractor mm-hmm. organisations and other experts in the sector, such as yourself. Um, 
So it definitely wasn't knee-jerk because we did all that work and then we carefully considered the evidence and then came up with our proposals. Um, secondly, were we misinformed? Um, I don't, don't think we're misinformed. And um, I think actually we, there's a consensus about the level and scale of exploitation in the sector. Um, it's just our policy proposals differ from everyone else's because our fundamental principle and belief is that if there's workers exploitation it should stop um, no matter what um, yeah I mean looking at the um, FCSA statement in response to our report there was surprisingly a lot in there that we actually agree agreed with so for example um, their statement said the umbrella sector is rife with truly terrible practices that victimize the contractor let's be blunt these practices actually rob contractors on a large scale well, that's just strengthening our belief they need to be banned, really. Mm. Um, it also said there's an increasingly growing criminal element who are preying on contractors. Um, and then it says it's becoming harder as many unlawful road companies now use highly sophisticated software to base themselves offshore in countries that do not have extradition treaties in place with the UK. Well, if, if these companies are operating like that, as the FCSA is suggesting, how can you possibly regulate that? in an effective way and stop these exploitative um, practices from happening. And then finally, from that statement, which was incredibly worrying, it said it's worth noting that not one director of a company offering loan schemes to contractors has seen the inside of a prison cell and those people have actual blood on their hands. So if you have the FCSA talking about situations where directors of these dodgy umbrella companies have actual blood on their hands, and that is to us is strengthening our argument that this sort of industry is beyond regulating now and it needs to be banned. So I think okay. going back to your original question, I don't think we're misinformed. It seems actually when we're looking at the types of exploitation that are happening, the industry themselves is admitting that this sort of large scale, serious exploitation is happening. You kind of made the point that, that you think that the current situation goes beyond the possibility of any regulation. And one question I was going to ask you was whether you thought government um, intervention in the form of regulation, licensing or, or anything like that would provide a, a an answer that, that, that TUC might and your members might find acceptable. But I, I, I guess the answer to that is is no. But what are your thoughts? Well, on, on state regulation, so looking at um, employment rights in enforcement bodies and whether they'd be able to play a role here we've got um we've already got concerns that that um the enforcement bodies are under-resourced and they don't have enough uh, mm. inspectors or, and they don't, aren't able to carry out enough workplace inspections yeah um so just for example the employment agency standard inspectorate um has 19 inspectors and it's already supposed to regulate around 40,000 employment agencies yeah. And so they're, they're not really able to, to do that effectively with the limited budget they have. Mm-hmm. And so to try and heap onto them additional enforcement responsibilities for umbrella companies is not really um, realistic. Um, okay. Unless there was a commitment for a massive increase in resources. But if you look at the single enforcement body government response, that there hasn't been that commitment so um yeah and th- which is which is interesting sorry to interrupt it's interesting considering the government have committed that the um 
employment agency standards um, body will take responsibility for umbrella companies. But I was very surprised that the single enforcement body, which will absorb the agency's team, um, doesn't have a commitment to fund that. I mean, it, it seems a bit bananas and how they how they expect this extra sector to be absorbed um, without without an increase in funding. I, I don't know, but sorry, I, I interrupted you mid-flow. Yeah, no, I think that's an important point, especially when um, the enforcement body would have to investigate um, tax law mm. breach yeah. and, yeah. and tax avoidance. So I don't think at the moment they would have the expertise and skills to do that. Um, no. Also, I think they would be confined by the parameters of the conduct regulations as to what they could investigate. Um, okay. And I'm not sure that the conduct regs, I'd have to look into this further, so I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think the conduct regs would allow the EES to investigate um, whether a umbrella company is operating a disguised remuneration scheme, for example, because it's not within the, don't think it's... Yeah, I, I agree with you. The last time I looked at the conduct regs, I couldn't see anything about tax-related issues with, within there. So I, I think you're right on that point, to be honest. So so that's where we think state regulation would fall down. Um, mm. And we, we published a bit of research recently looking at... Um, uh, the International Labour Organisation. So they've, oh, yes. they've established benchmarks for what an effective enforcement system looks like. So they mm. say that for every 10,000 workers in, in your labour market, there should be one labour market inspector. Um, wow. And I think by those calculations, um, we're roughly 1,800 labour market inspectors short of where we should be. So we, we have around 1,500 um, inspectors at the... Uh, Gang Masters Labour Abuse Authority, Health and Safety Executive, Employment Agency Standard Inspectorate and the National Minimum Wage Enforcement Team. So we need another 1800 to hit those, the um, International Labour Organisation benchmark. Wow, that is a huge disparity, actually. Um, I, I'm a bit annoyed with myself that I wasn't that that I've missed that piece of um, research. I'll 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 put it with the podcast notes in case anyone um, else is is as geeky as me and wants to read up on it. But to not provide enough inspectors to do the job is is just fundamentally wrong um, against workers who are being exploited. Yeah, we we, we agree with that. 100%. And it's also why we're worried that people are proposing state regulation as the, the main answer for regulating umbrella companies, because we just don't, we're not convinced that would work. Okay. Um, and they, one of the purposes, if you like, of umbrella firms is that they take away some of the admin um, and responsibilities from recruitment firms who... Um, who, if you think about about how recruitment firms operate um, in relation to temporary workers or contractors or whatever whatever term you use, um, they could be, for example, sending out a supply teacher to five different schools in a week. Now that supply teacher may then have five different lots of pay coming in, um, which then needs to be kind of um, put together and paid to that one individual. So recruitment agencies. Um, might not have the resources to juggle that volume um, of, of kind of payroll changes. They might be on different rates at each school or a nurse might be on different rates for each um, hospital or and indeed the workers might have more than one recruitment firm. So there, there's a reasonable amount of juggling that goes on there just from a payroll perspective. Now, what would you say to recruitment firms who hearing about 
your proposed ban may then say, well, we don't have the resources to to deal with this ourselves in-house. Because I assume, and sorry if I've jumped ahead, but my assumption about the ban is that recruitment firms will then do the stuff that umbrella firms currently do. Is that kind of what you think? And, and, and what would you say to those that say they can't? Uh, yeah, so our, our proposal would be that employment agencies, uh, sorry, recruitment agencies and the mm. client in some situations would have to operate their own payroll. Yeah. Um, but I think if we just step back just a little bit, because you talked yeah. about the, the, the motivation for recruitment agencies using umbrella companies is because they don't have the resources to do their own payroll. But I think there's an yeah. important motivation there as well, which is around these financial kickbacks, which have been really well publicised in the um, APPG loan, loan charge um, report. Yes. And yeah. it seems that the motivation for sometimes using umbrellas is nothing to do with resources or what's best for the worker. It's about how much money the recruitment agency or um, recruitment agencies or directors of the company in some situations can get their hands on um, in terms of referral fees from the umbrella companies. I think you're right that there is that element to recruitment firms' motivation. But again, I've interrupted you partway through. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah, so just quickly on the on the financial kickbacks, I think it, it mm. raises an important question because if I was a recruitment agency um, and an umbrella company approached me and said, oh, we can do the payroll for your workers um, and would even pay you for you sending them our way, I think that would raise a red flag with me because I'd be thinking, well, if I'm not paying for the this outsourced payroll service that we're getting, who is going to be paying for it? Um, and it's, it seems quite obvious to me that the only person who'd be paying for it really is the worker in some way. The umbrella company must be making a profit from them. Um, so that's that's why we're concerned about that, because obviously somebody's got to be paying for the umbrella company's profit there. And it's not the recruitment agency if they're getting a financial referral feedback. Yeah. And when you think that um, the umbrella margins are quite low, and I remember the report that you had commissioned with the Chartered Institute of Taxation um, did look into the accounts of um, some of the um, large market leading umbrella companies. And they were very surprised at how how low the margins were and 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 I guess from the recruitment firm's perspective, they need to stop and think if the umbrella is um, retaining a margin of £20, but yet that umbrella is then paying that recruitment agency, say, £10 for each worker, then that's only £10 profit that the umbrella has in order to do everything that it does. And it's just not sustainable. Um, and so for that reason, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um the point about um, um about recruitment firms not being able to do all these payroll activities them themselves um what would you sort of say say to to them i mean i i don't know if you had this conversation with with any of the recruitment trade bodies um when forming your view or or if that's a conversation to be had they did flag that up as a concern and it's something we asked mm. unions um and unions didn't really see it as a major obstacle um, okay. to, to the change. They thought it should be relatively simple for agencies to be able to set up their own payroll services. But we did have a, a few ideas about how that might be done as well. So, for example, if, if, you've, if you're a recruitment firm, it's an SME, and you don't have resources to do that in-house, could you potentially collectivise um, and share resources with other recruitment agencies in a similar boat to set up a joint payroll? 
Mm-hmm. Could you work with um, recruitment agency federations such as the such as REC to seek support, advice, um, and ask them to help um, provide services to their members? Um, and then finally, just before this before this uh, meeting, um, just a quick Google search, having a look at um, sort of online payroll services or software p- um, payroll solutions. Um, mm. There are plenty of services available on the internet which could um, help recruitment agencies to um, set up their own payroll services. So I don't think it should be beyond um, any recruitment agency to do that. Um, and, okay. and from our point of view is that's preferable to continuing to use umbrella companies where workers are going to be exploited. Um, we, should not, we should not let um, businesses use the excuse of not having the resources as a justification for exploiting workers just while we're still talking about the recruitment sector um i do know that um a reasonable number of recruitment firms operate preferred supplier lists of umbrellas have have you thought about preferred supplier lists and how they operate at all so what we've thought about in context of that of this really is around um perhaps the, is, it, is it the criminal finances act of 2017 yeah. and maybe how that should be better applied in this situation yeah. So I think that should be, I think if recruitment agencies are engaging with umbrella companies um, in a way where they know or foresee that they, that umbrella company might be putting the worker into a dodgy tax avoidance scheme, then they should be liable for that um, behaviour as well. So one of the things that we look at in our report and um, we asked the Chartered Institute of Taxation to look at is how that legislation might be used more effectively to sort of rein in recruitment agencies which are knowingly using um, dodgy umbrella companies. Yeah, you've you've touched a nerve there, actually. I'm so frustrated. I think the Criminal Finances Act came in in 2017. Um, I need to check that, actually. But, um, but yeah, it's been in place for, for a number of years and it seems to have been used um, very, very little. And I'm sitting here waiting for, for a case within the recruitment sector or the umbrella sector um, that, that that will use that because it's there designed to prevent tax evasion, but actually victims of those tax evasions then end up with massive tax bills and and it's very often the exploited worker at, at the end of that. So so yeah, I completely agree with you on, on that point. And that does sort of lead us on to then um the bit of your the the section of the your report where you're talking about other immediate actions that that could be taken um along the journey towards banning umbrellas so um i think that that there were quite a few there that 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 perhaps would be worth outlining um a little bit um while while we're talking so so yeah what what were your suggestions so one of the things that we have proposed is um, joint and several liability in supply chains. Um, and we think this would be a, a better way of regulating supply chains. Mm. So how, how this would work, um, say you've got sort of seven layers in a supply chain, um, the yeah. subcontractor right at the bottom and the, the main contractor and end client right at the top. Um, if, say, for example, the, the worker at the bottom of the supply chain wasn't being paid their national minimum wage rates or holiday, then they would mm-hmm. have they would be able to bring a claim against um, any or all of the contractors above them in the supply chain. Um, so we think this would give them sort of multiple avenues uh, seek compensation. Yeah, and I I think um, 
the director or the previous director of labor market enforcement um david metcalf was was very supportive of of that proposal um i i recall um responding to a discussion document or a strategy document that he had put out and i, I was cheering <laughs> because I, I think it's such a great proposal because these long supply chains are impossible to to navigate because it's really difficult to work out who is who is responsible for for workers so completely agree with you on that point unfortunately that joint responsibility pilot was dropped by the uh, by the government in their recent um response to the single enforcement body consultations yes it be happening um yeah. But I think it, it also has a, a different effect as well. So I think, in, say, for example, a, a worker who's working under umbrella arrangements brings mm. brings a claim against the end client because that's how joint several liability would, would enable them to bring a claim. Yeah. What, what that would have the effect of doing is the end client would then be thinking, well, we want to risk assess our supply chain in a more effective yeah. way, carry out due diligence and make sure that these sort of dodgy practices aren't happening in the first place. So it creates yeah. um, greater responsibility to for the end client to know what's happening in their supply chain and hopefully sort of stop those risks before they even emerge. So that's another sort of positive benefit of that. Uh, we also want to see um, greater trade union access, so greater access for trade union reps and officers to um, go into workplaces and speak to workers, mainly sort of for the um, primary reason of informing them about their employment rights, letting them know what they're entitled to, but also helping them to resolve workplace disputes as well. So we think that would be important because it might sort of um, nip, nip some of the issues in the bud and yeah. enable them to speak to the, the agency and the end client as well. Yeah, because I, I, I guess you probably find the same thing that I find is that often um, some of the temporary workers aren't aware that they are actually building up employment rights. Um, and actually, as workers, um, you know, they, they have, oh, I don't know, about 30 or so um, employment rights um, that, that are statutory rights. So, so often I find people just just aren't aware of them so completely um can see the point of that yeah the, the other recommendation is something which we've discussed before which is around the amending conduct regulations um and mm-hmm. we touched on this earlier where we're saying we're not sure that the conduct regs as they stand would um, enable the es to go and investigate all the types of exploitation that we, we know are associated with umbrella companies um like yeah. the tax avoidance schemes um, and also the deductions from paying that sort of thing yeah yeah good for those to be revisited um straight away just to capture all that activity yeah and one part that surprises me that i can't find in the conduct regs is um a requirement where the advertised pay rate is the rate that that the worker receives and i've I've looked a couple of times and i don't know if you've looked more recently than than i have but i've never found it there and i find that so surprising and i can't help thinking that if there was just that one change out, out of all out of all of the discussion that would really alleviate a, a lot of the a lot of the problems that we've been talking about um but but anyway I, i've got on my <laughs> on on one of my soapboxes there but i guess that would be something you would agree with yeah no totally agree that would be a really that'd be a welcome change now yeah and um i don't think it is in there at the moment there's just there's just something in about withholding pay isn't there i think and not mm. you like you said, there's 
difference between withholding pay and not being paid the advertised rate. So that, that could be a useful um, amendment which is made, which would really help workers straight away, I think. Yes, yeah. So I think, um, you know, we, we've probably um, uh, sort of filled the time um, that that kind of people would listen um, to, to the podcast for. So um, I guess I would draw it to conclusion by saying that my own personal view is that I wouldn't agree about banning umbrella firms. Your the TUC's view is is different to to that, but I do think that that from the other recommendations that that you've put together to be um, implemented on the way towards banning. I I would actually propose that if those are all implemented, maybe a ban wouldn't be necessary. But um, but I I, I guess you wouldn't be able to say that you agree with that because you represent your members, and so you would have to then <laughs> then take that back to the, to them. But do you have um closing comments from your perspective? Well, just following on from what you've said, really, I think um, Bayes, the the government department of business, is looking at um potential. Um, changes to improve the regulation of the umbrella of, of umbrella companies. Yes. Whilst we are seeking a ban because of the wide scale of and seriousness of exploitation, um, yeah, mm-hmm. we we will engage with them, looking at what those changes are and trying to seek improvements and where they will help umbrella workers. Yeah, and I think um, to have the voice of the TUC on some of those things that we've just talked about would actually be really, really useful for for the umbrella sector in general. So on that positive um, note, I think we'll we'll call it a day. Um, Massive thank you for your time joining me today. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Um, We will put some links into all of the stuff that we've been talking about um, in the notes that go with the podcast. So massive thank you. Thanks, Julia. Thank you for listening to Empowering Agency Workers, hosted by Julia Kermode. For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk, where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.